Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast, where we cover everything from crypto finance to global macro. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. In this week's Freeform Friday, we talk about capital allocation, looking at Buffett, Bezos, and why earn. Capital allocation is probably one of the most underrated topics that gets discussed. Yet, disciplined capital allocation is key to managing a successful company. Today, we'll explore what capital allocation is and why it's important. We'll attempt to answer some burning questions. How can we apply traditional capital allocation strategies to decentralized crypto networks? And what are unique properties of decentralized crypto networks that make capital allocation decisions more challenging? To tackle these questions, We'll look at the high-level structure of platform businesses like Amazon and dive into some recent capital allocation proposals for the YEARN ecosystem. First things first, some words from legendary value investor Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is known for sticking to his guns when it comes to capital allocation practices. You may have come across the following quote. Buffett said, The first law of capital allocation, whether the money is slated for acquisitions or share repurchases, is that what is smart at one price is dumb at another. Buffett means that these capital allocation decisions only make sense when shares are trading at a discount to their intrinsic value, not when it's trading above. In Berkshire Hathaway's 2016 annual report, Buffett wrote, The question of whether a repurchase action is value-enhancing or value-destroying for continuing shareholders is entirely purchase price dependent. To paraphrase another Buffett quote, it's vital for managers to act in ways that increase per share intrinsic value and avoid moves that decrease it. This principle may seem obvious, but we constantly see it violated. And when misallocations occur, shareholders are hurt. The key takeaway here, capital allocation decisions should always aim to increase shareholder value. That is, capital allocation is about the distribution of cash flows So each decision should optimize for cash flow. There are five main capital allocation strategies. Number one, investing in the company's growth. Number two, funding mergers and acquisitions. Number three, paying down debt. Number four, returning to shareholders in the form of paying dividends. And number five, returning to shareholders in the form of share repurchases. Let's use Apple to talk about two of the most common ways companies allocate capital, dividends and share buybacks. Apple went public on December 12, 1980. For years, Apple remained a non-dividend paying stock. Instead, it chose to pile up cash using the funds to either reinvest in the business or to acquire other companies. This all changed in 2012 when Apple announced it would start paying shareholders a $9.9 billion annual dividend, making it the second largest dividend payer at the time behind American telecom company AT&T. Still, however, the dividend payment was only using a quarter of the cash Apple was generating in one year. The war chest has continued to grow, and Apple's net cash position peaked at $163 billion at the end of Q1 2018. In 2013, Apple started its share repurchase program. Between share repurchases and dividend payments, 
Apple returned nearly $300 billion to shareholders from 2013 to 2019. And as a result, Apple reduced its share count nearly 20% between 2015 and 2019, boosting its earnings per share by about 25%. Now, if we zoom out and look at the contribution of dividends to overall stock market returns, dividends have contributed to a third of market returns since the 1960s. In the 1970s and 1980s, the dividend yield on the S&P 500 averaged over 4%. By comparison, the current average dividend yield on the S&P 500 is now only around 2%. This is in part because in the late 1990s, share buybacks started to outpace dividends, and buyback activity remains at elevated levels today. It's easy to see how share buybacks are attractive to shareholders, because by reducing the number of outstanding shares, a company's stock should theoretically inflate as each share represents a higher percentage of ownership. But this is where buybacks get, well, a blowback, as many believe they represent corporate short-termism. As Phil Ordway of Anabatic Investment Partners put back in 2019, quote, long-term engaged shareholders are a vanishing breed. Whether they're big institutions or sizable blocks of retail shareholders, they're shrinking, dying out, and being replaced largely by the index funds and some of the large pension funds. The holding period has declined rapidly, and it's devolved into this unhealthy, unproductive shareholder environment that companies need to pay attention to and try to fix." End quote. As we'll see in the next section, creating shareholder value is not only a major challenge for businesses, but also for emerging decentralized crypto networks. In preparing for today's episode, I came across an article on LinkedIn by former eBay chief executive David Wenig titled, Capital Allocation, Portfolio, or Platform. The overarching theme of this article can be summed up in one sentence, in which Wenig says, portfolio management as a component of capital allocation is a critical part of effective corporate stewardship. Specifically, Wenig talks about the rise of powerful platform businesses like Amazon, Google, and Bloomberg, and says that for these platforms where the asset or business unit within the company's portfolio is part of an ecosystem of interdependence, it's critical to fully capture the role and value of an asset. To paraphrase Wenig, well-developed platforms have ecosystems of mutually supportive products and services, so the platform's value must be judged by the sum of its parts, not separately, just because they are different brands. He writes that platform businesses require us to question things like, when does an asset actually achieve its highest value? And what is the implication on strategy and value for purposes of effective portfolio management? In this article, he talks about four key data signals that can help us to identify whether an asset is part of a strategic ecosystem. And here I quote directly. Number one, customer overlap. The commonality of the customer base between an asset and other parts of a platform ecosystem indicates a need to look further at customer acquisition cost and lifetime value. It also is an indication of strategic coherence. If there is little or no customer overlap, there is usually little ecosystem synergy. He cites products like Amazon Prime, Prime Video, and Whole Foods, which have high customer overlap but Amazon Web Services has relatively low customer overlap with other parts of the Amazon platform. 
Number two, cost of customer acquisition. The cost of customer acquisition is a critical driver for all digital businesses and in particular consumer businesses. In a platform ecosystem, each asset contributes to the whole by lowering the overall cost of customer acquisition. That may mean the product or service provides an easy entry point for our customers, or it may mean that it adds value to the overall customer proposition and in turn brings down acquisition cost. Number three, customer lifetime value. Wenig writes that the most important driver of platform benefits is the ability to increase the customer lifetime value. Amazon Prime Video is an example of a business, quote unquote, that is actually part of a bundle, and it creates value by selling the Prime brand, significantly improving the lifetime value for the customer. Google is another example that uses the surface area of all of its properties, from Gmail to Android to YouTube to search, to increase its share of advertising and improve ad rates. Number four, product and data. In a digital ecosystem, separate products can support each other and become powerful drivers of customer satisfaction while lowering development costs. Facebook uses product resources to benefit its entire platform ecosystem, whether it is a common login between Facebook, Instagram, and Messenger, or data sharing across its properties to better target customers for vertical propositions like Facebook Marketplace. To quote entrepreneur Zach Cantor, Amazon is a perpetual motion machine. The company doesn't have to rely on willpower to get things done. Instead, as a platform, it has internal compounding loops that keep the business moving. Amazon works by seeding new business ventures, discovering what works, and amplifying the highest leverage experiments. It's evolution in real life. There's a lot more that can be said on each of these four data signals, and I encourage you to read the article in full. In short, cross-asset value generation is key for platform businesses. That is, in addition to the independent revenue streams that each asset generates, all of the platform benefits must be captured. With the rise of decentralized finance, we are seeing a new phenomenon take place. That is, collaboration generative platforms such as Wireearn. For those who aren't familiar with Wireearn and recent protocol developments, Wireearn is a suite of decentralized finance products that provides lending aggregation, yield generation, and insurance on the Ethereum blockchain. The protocol recently went on a protocol collabing rampage, sucking five other DeFi protocols into its ecosystem. Its founder, Andre Cronier, wrote an interesting piece on this which can be found on his Medium, and I'll link to it in my show notes. And this made me wonder what capital allocation strategies look like for these types of decentralized networks. As Yearn is a decentralized protocol, it's not a perfect comparison to your common public equity stock. I'm sure you can think of a few reasons, not the least because, well, the former is maintained by a decentralized group of developers and governed by an even more decentralized community of ecosystem token holders, and the latter are centralized entities governed by a small group of executives. In place of a board of directors or so-called management team, Wyern has its community. Many DeFi projects who embrace the ethos of decentralization, in most cases progressive decentralization, rely on governance token holders to submit proposals, voice their opinions, and vote on governance decisions. 
resembling something like a shareholder's vote. We have seen interesting proposals emerge within the wiring community about ways to manage the protocol's treasury, and I think these proposals closely resemble the types of decisions corporate executives have to make when allocating capital. Yearn has been around for a few months now, and the question is, how can Yearn increase stakeholder value through the various sources of cash flow distribution? Back in October 2020, Ryan Watkins, research analyst at Masari, proposed a change to Yearn's capital allocation strategy that affects the distribution of Wi-Fi. This was ultimately passed 70-30, but not without serious reservations from other Wi-Fi token holders. Watkins' main argument was that DeFi protocols weren't positioning themselves as good capital allocators. Namely, the primary capital return drivers being utilized, such as dividend payments and token repurchases, were not maximizing the future cash flow of the Wiren protocol, and therefore not beneficial for the long-term growth of the ecosystem. Watkins writes, Firms typically have five primary options for allocating capital reinvesting in operations, issuing dividends, repurchasing stock, paying down debt, and acquiring other businesses. For the most part, DeFi protocols today have only explored two of these options, issuing dividends and repurchasing tokens. Yet, both of these options are inappropriate for DeFi protocols given their stage of maturity. Early stage firms rarely ever use their financial resources to buy back stock or issue dividends to shareholders. The reason why is simple. Why reward shareholders now when that capital can earn far higher returns being reinvested into the business? This is especially true for startups in high growth industries where the potential returns on capital can be enormous if a firm succeeds in its market. Investors in early stage startups don't want dividends and stock buybacks, they want growth and future profits. Yet DeFi protocols today do exactly the opposite of this. So I guess the question here is whether investors consider Wi-Fi as an investment in a quote-unquote early stage startup. Token holders may instead see Wi-Fi more as a token-based income source and prioritize short-term profits over truly decade-long growth potential. We also have to consider that the capital structure of the crypto markets is vastly different from the public equity markets, and as a result, crypto investors may be driven by different incentives than public equity shareholders. Now back to Watkins' proposal, let me give you some context. Between August to October 2020, Yearn had grown to a $450 million project and generated over $2 million in fees, which accrued to Yearn's treasury. Yearn distributed these fees, which were the protocol's revenue, to Wi-Fi stakeholders as dividends, which Watkins believes is a suboptimal capital allocation strategy. Instead, Watkins proposes that the protocol revenue be used to buy back Wi-Fi to reward different stakeholders for providing value to the Wiren ecosystem and use the income to reinvest in the protocol's growth. To be clear, this means stopping the automatic distribution of income to Wi-Fi stakers, people who hold Wi-Fi tokens in the ecosystem. He points out that the goal of Yearn's capital allocation strategy should be to allocate its capital in ways that maximizes its future cash flow, 
which he believes is best done by reinvesting in growth. The whole point of this is to attract high-caliber developers and contributors to YEARN by providing them with upside exposure to Wi-Fi. The proposal states that the community would get to decide on how to distribute the accumulated Wi-Fi tokens to different contributors in the YEARN ecosystem, such as incentivizing strategy writers with a predetermined amount of Wi-Fi for writing strategies that get implemented, rewarding protocol politicians, a predetermined amount of Wi-Fi for creating proposals that pass, incentivizing new vaults with Wi-Fi rewards to drive growth, and providing Wi-Fi for developers and content creators in addition to what they may already receive in income from the treasury. This is a very similar concept to, say, granting employee stock options, with minor caveats, of course, the main one being the vesting period, which I don't believe this proposal had incorporated. This sentiment was perfectly encapsulated in a comment by a community member that goes by the handle DC Investor. He wrote, I am not against some portion of the treasury being used as rewards, but frankly, the distribution process for grants from the treasury to contributors has been fairly immature. These processes would need to be substantially upgraded with far better oversight. But I am against the idea of all Y-Earn income going to Wi-Fi buybacks which then sit somewhere and require governance to intervene. In my opinion, income is a core part of the Y-Earn slash Wi-Fi token value proposition, and having on-chain governance fight monthly, quarterly, etc. over how that money would be distributed may not be conducive to a good outcome or healthy community. I'm not against reinvesting some additional portion of that money into growth, for example, paying all core team members a 10% to 20% bonus in time-locked Wi-Fi, plus some additional amount going to grants. But the expected value gleaned from such a reinvestment strategy is not worth killing all the income of the token. As mentioned, Watkins' proposal ultimately passed, but discussions about Wyern's treasury are ongoing. At the time of this recording, there are two live proposals called Funding Wyern's Future and Buyback and Build, or BABY for short. I'll link these in my show notes as well for those who are interested. Since both are ongoing discussions, I'll save analysis for a future episode, but the core of both proposals is about Wyern's treasury design and operations. Wyern is a really interesting case study when it comes down to debating short-term versus long-term value maximization. As another proposal author put it, quote, Wi-Fi governs a considerable and hopefully growing cash flow from fees. There is a trade-off of stability and runway, value maximization short-term versus investing in growth, end quote. Unlike public companies, however, Wyern's capital allocation decisions will look vastly different because it's not governed by a small group of forever executives. Rather, Wi-Fi's capital allocation decisions will continue to iterate based on the decisions made by a growing body of token holders. It's a messier process as a result, but... I guess you can say more democratic. At the beginning of the episode, I posed two questions. How can we apply traditional capital allocation strategies to decentralized crypto markets? Well, it seems the same capital allocation methods apply to decentralized crypto networks. Wyern's governance shows that the difference lies in the decision-making process around capital allocation strategies, namely that the process is much more transparent and democratic on decentralized crypto networks. 
And what are unique properties of decentralized crypto networks that make capital allocation decisions more challenging? Well, I think there are a few points. The first, decentralized governance makes decision-making processes like capital allocation more complex. It may be difficult to find consensus among the community, especially for divisive proposals. Number two, conglomerate-like protocols such as Wireern have to consider how changes to treasury operations affect funding for things that affect long-term protocol value, such as mergers and talent acquisitions, as well as cross-protocol incentives for projects within the ecosystem. Number three, there is a value maximization trade-off between investing in people, contributing to protocol development, and rewarding token holders. It's not yet clear what the right balance is. Wireign's capital allocation decisions will either grow protocol value or negatively impact protocol value. As Wireign's ecosystem grows, it will need to take a page out of Amazon's book and ensure that each protocol within this ecosystem contributes to strategic coherence, adds value to the overall user proposition, increases the user lifetime value, and lowers overall development costs. Achieve this, and perhaps Wireign may one day become a perpetual motion machine. As always, thanks so much for tuning in, guys, and see you at the next episode. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group.